the four o'clock football frenzy. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The four o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Football, 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 as if we haven't been talking football all show long. Raiders with a big win last night, upset victory, drama-filled, overtime, end of regulation. They get it done. A lot of happiness around Las Vegas. A lot of people fired up about the stadium and the crowd and the atmosphere. We'll get into it more as this hour moves along. Former Raider beat writer, now with Pro Football Talk, Miles Simmons, up in about 15. (laughs) Candy, we got shortchanged a little bit. I just wanted to follow up. On a couple of things you were saying about the Manning Brothers alternate broadcast. First of all, where? how did you actually get it? How do I get it? Yeah, yeah. Where, I, where, do, you, where do you find it? I now? take I take my remote. Right. I press channel up from ESPN to ESPN2. So it was on two, okay. Yeah, yeah. It was on, it was on ESPN2, which is the second channel of ESPN. I'm, in case you, you're wondering how to get it in this complicated TV world we live in. Do you – I feel like everything's streaming now, so. Uh, do you think this is – I'm going to say one-off, but I, I know they're doing it the whole season. Is this something incredibly rare, sort of a sports to- uh, talk environment around a game that just works because of the Manning brothers, or could this be part of the future of broadcasting? We've already seen it, like with a col- you know college having five different calls and a bunch of coaches sitting around grading the plays. What do you think? Are people going to – could this be an alternative where people are like, you know what, I don't want the traditional play-by-play guy and at times boring football players having to stick to the formula that we've had for like 70 years around football? I think there's an audience for it, and the audience is guys like you and me. I think we're going to be the target audience for not only the Mannings, but any other iteration of this. Now, the problem, the temptation is going to be to junk this thing up with a bunch of special guests like, oh, ESPN has the star of the new Disney Plus series. But no, <laughs> no, no. It worked because you had Ray Lewis and Russell Wilson and some big time people who were in there talking to them. I don't think it's going to replace the traditional broadcast. Look, people are married to it. They, they are married to the idea of having someone calling every play. But this takes advantage of the fact that it's TV. You don't have to call every play. And the other thing is, Peyton Manning's a Hall of Famer. Peyton Manning can say what he wants to say. And it wasn't players just taking it easy on players because there's some sort of brotherhood. When there was a time for Peyton Manning to jump in and say, that's terrible, then he jumped in and said, that's terrible. He (laughs) blasted Gruden for his call on fourth down. said, ah, it's just a terrible call. I'm sorry, I apologize. That's not a third down, not a fourth down. But he was willing to do it. And so I think the Mannings make it work because it's organic, but I also think there's a market out there for an alternate audience that uh, C&C listeners are going to love. So we start to look ahead to week two and overreactions and reactions to week one. We see the Saints are on the road at Carolina, laying three and a half. Are the Saints going to be okay from a coaching standpoint going into this game? Six offensive coaches have entered the COVID protocol along with a nutritionist and an offensive player. That's the word. So that's eight early in the week. Wait, one positive, we one positive and all tracing or like eight positives? All tested positive. Ooh, so that's a little different. We don't know how far this, uh, this ultimately will go. Um, yeah, and right now, 
the crazy part is we talk about this the same way we talked about it last year, right? Up oh, here we go, a bunch more tests. Well, the NFL's already made it clear we're not helping you this year. Like, we're not going to go out and push games out to Tuesdays and Wednesdays to try to get things done. You either get your house in order or you don't. So even though we heard that 93% of players had been vaccinated league-wide before the season started, uh, and I'm not telling you these coaches aren't vaccinated, but this certainly would qualify as an outbreak, vaccinated or not. Well, the uh, the injury outbreak has begun. I hope it's not an outbreak, but last year was a disaster for the San Francisco 49ers because... They had so many guys go down with season-ending injuries. Raheem Mostert out early in game number one. We uh, then heard eight weeks. Uh, it was declared today that he's out for the season. He's a really good player. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We believe on this show, I think you probably agree with this, Candy, that uh, the Niners are pretty innovative in what they run. Adam Hill always likes to call it football porn when you watch all the different sets in the run game from Lil Shanny. Uh, they're going to bring in Carryon Johnson, the former Lion running back. Uh, they had some young dudes emerge. What, six-round pick and Elijah Mitchell. Uh, Hasty's back. So I don't think this is a disaster, but this is you know, the beginning of dangerous times if they have cluster issues at running back from here in terms of injuries and say the the two and the three go down like last year and you get to a point where you're like, we can't keep up. I'm not really all that worried about it, to be honest. Look at the two teams that we're talking about here that have had serious running back issues. The Ravens, who I think showed last night that you can still run the ball uh, with guys who are third string, fourth string, and beyond. And then the 49ers, who... We believe that Kyle Shanahan can basically run an a offense with anyone plugged into those running back spots because of the quality of the offensive line. And especially if they're going to work more sets with Trey Lance, then you're going to have another running option to throw out there. They really didn't use a whole lot. Also, the one guy you didn't mention in there for the 49ers who didn't even get uh, dressed for game one against the Lions, Trey Sermon, the rookie from yeah. Ohio State. And, uh, you know, this is not just me selfishly saying, let's put Trey Sermon in there because I'm holding a 50 to 1 offensive rookie of the year ticket on him. Okay, it's definitely me just saying (laughs) that. Let's put Trey Sermon in there uh, and see what's going on. No, I'm not too worried about the Niners. Wow, we got a classic embrace debate breaking out on first take. You know that uh, since Stephen A booted max now they're trying to come up with a new formula so i guess during football season they're gonna have a lot of ex-football players in to battle Stephen a and it started last week where Stephen a was really given the hammer and he was talking about the elite quarterbacks in the nfl and Keyshawn's responsibility was to come up with someone who's not amongst you know the big names that you hear all the time who's also elite and he he threw forth Derek carr and then look what Derek carr does last night in the second half and overtime oh i'm guessing they went back to the well on this one Keyshawn. You got to look at the situation. Look at it in overtime. Mm-hmm. There was three essential touchdowns that was given to Carr. The one where Edwards fell down on the ground. Let's just mm-hmm. give him that as a touchdown. Okay. The ball goes through the receiver's hand, interception. That wasn't on him. That's the no. damn receiver. That's correct. And That's then correct. the one to cap it off with a casino blitz coming. He heaves it. Boom, in Zaya Jones' hands. That's another it. touchdown. Right. That's another one. Dropped it in the bucket. That's right. That's what Aaron Rodgers would do. Mm-hmm. That's what Tom Brady, mm-hmm. Russell Wilson mm-hmm. Okay, am I missing somebody? No. Patrick Mahomes? No. So how is he not in that area? Okay. That's it. That's the proof you needed. Elite. End, end of discussion, except Stephen A. has his say. Eight years? 
You got one playoff appearance, which, by the way, you didn't play because you were injured. Connor Cook threw that the quarterback that game. You don't have a single playoff performance on your resume. And you're going to talk to me about the word elite being associated with Derek Carr? No. Candy, react. Talk. Oh, man. I want to embrace both sides of this debate. I want to embrace both these guys. You know. Give them a big hug. Do I want to embrace them both know and the say, formula? no, I want to say, guys, you're both kind of right. Oh, wow. you're, you're both kind of right. But Keyshawn's more right. Uh, <laughs> I've been the one since 2017 when I first started talking about the Raiders on these here airwaves, pounding the table. Not going to do it, actually. I learned that from Cofield. You'll hurt the equipment. Uh, but mm-hmm. the saying is that Derek Carr is an above average NFL quarterback. Elite? I don't know about elite, but in that next tier right there, you can make me an argument. You absolutely can. And you can win with Derek Carr. You can win with him as the quarterback. Is Steven right that playoff berths have to factor in there somewhere? Yeah, you you would like to think that a quarterback could elevate his team to the point to take them to the playoffs. But throwing the you didn't play in the playoffs when you went uh, in <laughs> yeah, 2015 yeah, yeah. with the Derek Carr, he wasn't injured. His leg was snapped. Holmes, come on, man. I like it. Come on. Good use of the word Holmes. Very nice. Yeah, I think this is going to be a good debate uh, through much of the season. Is Derek Carr elite? And the other one, because you'll always go back to winning and playoffs, is Matt Stafford. And Stafford came out with 321 and three touchdowns, and it looked like video game football times with the Rams. Let's get reaction on the Raiders, get reaction on the Rams, some look-aheads, also some injury updates. Is Miles Simmons pro football talk and – uh, football talk on Peacock is on Cofield and Company. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. I mean, against that defensive front, them young guys, man, I think, I mean, let you know the little couple of mishaps that they had, but for an overall standpoint, I mean, for the first game of, of the center, uh, Andre's first game and Leatherwood's first game starting, um, I think it was definitely huge. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Josh Jacobs, Raiders running back, talking about the offensive line. Uh, Colton Miller with a big game, pro football focus, very highly rated. Alex Leatherwood, mixed result, uh, had a lower rating. We'll uh, we'll get into the offensive line a little later. It's one of the critical things we can get into with the Raiders' victory last night against the Ravens. Lots of good things to talk about. We'll start with some of those with Miles Simmons, pro football talk. He's up with Cofield and Candy here on Cofield and Company. Miles, how you doing, buddy? Doing well, gentlemen. Uh, How are you? Uh, We're good. You know, it's always fun to cover a – Winning local football team, and uh, now that we got fans in the stadium, uh, the town is very fired up on a on a winning Tuesday. Uh, give me the thing that you were most impressed with, and maybe you'll. Maybe, I won't give you the right choice here, but uh, John Gruden's aggressiveness in the game last night, or the play of the Raiders' defensive line. Oh, you gave me two choices, but I was. I'm, I'm going to go off the board, and you know, what I'm going to say is, is Brian Edwards. Because when the Raiders had to have it late in the game and they had to go to somebody, I mean, you'd expect that they would go to Darren Waller. And I, you know, I think the Ravens expected that too. But the guy that Derek Carr turned to when they had to get down the field in a situation with no timeouts and you have to get up and set yourself up for a field goal, he was Brian Edwards. And frankly, I didn't really expect that. And I think he had, what, three or four catches. 
and either three or all four of them came in the last two minutes in overtime. So I got to tell you, I, I was really impressed by that because, look, this is a young receiver that the Raiders need in order to get their offense to at least the same level after you lost Nelson Aguilar in free agency, and you want it to be even better. So I, I know that you know you gave me two choices, and I just gave you one that an answer that was totally different, but that's what I was most impressed with last night. Well, Miles, let me try the other end of the connection there and ask you what you thought about Derek Carr overall because I understood that some people were critical of Derek Carr early on in the game, first quarter. There were a couple of inaccurate throws, a couple of forces. But overall, I thought Derek Carr was outstanding last night. I thought every time the Raiders needed a throw to be exactly in the right spot in big moments he was there do, do we think that this is the sort of performance that gets people to at least acknowledge that Derek Carr is an above average quarterback <laughs> no um but I, I'll put it like this I I was impressed with Derek Carr's performance just given the fact that you know like you said he, he had a little bit of a shaky start and he was high and I uh, on the, a few throws and I think that part of that is just him being amped up. You know, after covering him for a season, I understand how much he cares about the Raiders and how much he wants to win for the Raiders. And I mean, and he had that quote that came out earlier this year. Where he's like, you know, I'd rather retire than play somewhere else. And I think that's a little bit of hyperbole. But I don't think it's unfair to say that he really, really cares about the Raiders and winning for the Raiders. And when you're in a situation where you're in the grand opening of the stadium, you've got your fans for the first time in a stadium since you saw them boo you off the field in Oakland. Like, I think that there's a lot there that probably made him a little bit amped up. And frankly, I also thought that they were trying to force the ball to Darren Waller a little bit too much early on in the game. But yeah, once you got settled, once he got settled in there, you saw him make some really, really good throws. And again, you know, we're talking about, I'm sorry, my Brian Edwards. Yeah. You know, when you had to have those throws, Derek Carr made them. And I think especially in the past couple of years, there've been some situations where you're in those got to have it situations and you're late in the game and whatnot. And Derek Carr throws a pick or Derek Carr takes a sack. And he's got a, he has so many fourth quarter game winning drives, comebacks and things like that. But, when you've only had one winning season and he's now headed into his eighth year, it's almost like Matthew Stafford. You're just not necessarily going to get that national respect. And at least Matthew Stafford has been to the playoffs a couple of times. We've never seen Derek Carr play a playoff game. Um, so he's going to need more performances like that to really, I think, get the respect nationally. But I think those who know understand that Carr, yes, he is an above-average quarterback, and it's really the only reason why he's been able to stay a starting quarterback for as long as he has been. On the other side of the ball, the Raiders' defensive line certainly looked the part. Uh, from your observation, was this more about the Raiders potentially having, I'm not going to say fixed the pass rush, but at least improved it? Or was this more about the Ravens just looking terrible on the offensive line? Well, Villanueva looked really, really bad. And, you know, I, I don't think that there's any way of disputing that. But I think by the same token, you know, if you're Max Crosby, you still have to go execute those situations. And so it wasn't just that Villanueva looked bad. I think that Max Crosby looked excellent. Um, and, you know, it, it was something that I thought um, when those guys were out here facing the Rams in a practice, and I went and I saw, and that defensive line with Nick Ngakwe, with Max Crosby, they looked good. You know, those two guys, I think, have a lot of potential. Now, we'll obviously have to see what happens with Ngakwe and the hamstring, but 
I think that Crosby is one of those guys that can be a double-digit sack producer in the league. He's already done it. He did it as a rookie. Um, and so now that he's in year three, it looks like he's producing like you'd probably expect the number four overall pick that you have on your roster to perform, but that's the fourth-round pick. And, you know, while you got to say, man, what's the scouting – uh, what, what's the scouting, Raider scouting doing with one hand? On the other, you got to say, well, they did a good job with this other guy that they picked up in the mid-round. So I think that there is something there. And also you got to shout out Carl Nassib for the way that he was getting after the quarterback. I thought that he played pretty well, um, especially playing more stats probably than he expected um, once Yannick Ngakwe went out. So let's play that out a little bit, Miles, and talk about some reactions that we saw to the game yesterday where there were some folks who said, hey, it doesn't really matter that Damon Arnett played one snap or that Cleve Furl was inactive because the Raiders won. And I feel like that's a little bit of some small sample size thinking there. Uh, do, do you believe the Raiders can continue to perform at the level they did last night if they're not getting anything out of those two first-round picks? I think, well, it's an interesting question because you, you probably can. I mean, I don't know how much Cleveland Furl is going to add to you if he's out there or not. You know, Damon Arnett, I don't know how much better he's going to be than Casey Hayward or not. But, it, you know, at, at least Arnett, you're only in year two. Cleveland Furl, you're in year three. And I know Gruden was talking about the fact that he had the back stuff um, over the course of the week. But when the guy doesn't have an injury status and you're not, he's a healthy scratch, you know, that is still a signal of that something isn't quite right there. And he's already a backup. So I'm, I'd be more concerned about Cleveland Furl than I would be about Damon Arnett from the standpoint of what are you ever going to get from them. I think that Arnett can still develop. He at least has that time. But, you know, I, I don't think the Raiders are counting on either of them this year to be productive, and they probably shouldn't because they know through training camp that they can't really count on them to be starters, at least on opening day. So it's not like these guys are rookies. They've been in the league. Arnett, obviously, with the COVID year, that's a little bit different. But, yeah, I, I think that you might be able to expect more out of your corner, uh, your first-round corner later on than you would with Clay Farrell. Because, look, if he's on the second-team defensive line heading into his third year, that looks more and more like a bust. Miles, you mentioned Matt Stafford a couple minutes ago. Give me your impressions of what the Rams did in their opener. And now a really big game for the Colts. You know, it goes without saying, you don't want to start uh, 0-2. Uh, Colts are catching four on this one at home against the Rams. Gosh, I was really impressed with Matthew Stafford, I'll tell you, man. Like, seeing – because I was at SoFi Stadium for that game, and I'll tell you what, like, the third play from scrimmage for the Rams, you go bombs away, and it just seems like, oh, this is exactly why Sean McVay kept going on places and, you know – saying, oh, yeah, you're darn right I'm excited, and then says, well, I, well, that's not really a slight toward Jared Goff. I mean, yeah, it is, because you weren't going bombs away like that with Jared Goff. <laughs> Last time they really did that was in 2017, 2018. It's been two years. So now I think you see Sean McVay has a quarterback who can really run the full complement of the playbook, and it was really impressive to see just how efficient Matthew Stafford was, to see how well they married that scheme with Stafford's ability and with the ability of those wide receivers. I mean, that touchdown that he threw to Cooper Cup. I mean, Cup was 15, 20 yards behind the defense. And in the past, Jared Goff throws that. Cooper Cup's got to stop and wait, and then the Bears might catch up to him and they might tackle him before he gets in the end zone. Stafford hits him in stride and it's an easy touchdown. And I think those are the kinds of things where you just really, really see the clear difference between Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford, at quarterback for the Rams, and those guys look real dangerous. And 
especially based on what Seattle just did with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, if I'm Frank Reich, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about what's coming yeah. uh, to Indianapolis this weekend. Yeah, I saw your write-up on Reich and the, the offensive line. I, I, am I missing something? Have they moved up the return of Eric Fisher from a shredded Achilles late in the season last year? Like, is he... I mean, I thought this was a signing for, like, the last four weeks of the season, and they keep talking about him as if he's right around the corner. Initially, I did, too, man. And, you know, the crazy thing is, just through training camp, they kept saying, oh, well, he's doing some work on the side. Well, now he's maybe doing a little bit more in practice, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And so it's apparently not out of the question that he could play this week. And that would be a big deal because Julian Davenport just did not play very well against the Seattle Seahawks in that game. I mean, they were letting up a lot of pressure toward Carson Wentz. You Frank Wright talking about Wentz taking some vicious hits. I think Wentz got hit 10 times in the box score in that game. So, and, you know, if the box score says it's 10 hits, then it probably was at least a couple more. So I, I just feel like if that's the route they're going to go, then you better make sure that Eric Fisher's healthy because otherwise Eric, Eric Fisher's going to get targeted by Aaron Donald. Leonard Floyd, that whole game, and that could be a long day for him. Let's talk Patriots with Miles Simmons, Pro Football Talk. What do you think about what Mac Jones said uh, after the loss? I know he goes on a local radio show on Mondays, and also an update on Trent Brown. Uh-oh, already tweaked. Oh, yeah, I mean, my gosh. Look, it, Trent Brown, you know, you guys know this from seeing him with the Raiders the last couple years. It seems like it's always something with him, and he really hasn't been healthy since 2018, the last time he played with the Patriots. So he's got a cast strain. Considered day-to-day, but you know, with Trent Brown, day-to-day could be anything, at least the way it's been over the last couple of years. But, yeah, I, I think Matt Jones is an interesting cat because, you know, I, he didn't keep the first football that he threw for a touchdown. And, like, people are talking about that and saying, like, he said, oh, you know, I'm not that concerned about the individual, la, la, la. And uh, Josh McDaniel's offensive coordinator in New England, said that just shows the kind of guy he is. And I'm thinking, man, like, I'd like to think of myself as a pretty big team player, but you know what? If I throw my first touchdown in the NFL, I'm keeping that football. And I don't think that makes you selfish. I just think that that means that you're a little sentimental about things. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. But, you know, I mean, if Mac Jones doesn't want to do that, that's his prerogative. But I thought he played pretty well. Um, Obviously, he didn't fumble the football down there uh, late in that game, so that's not necessarily on him. But, now, when you only score 16 points and you're not beating a Dolphins team that scored 17, eh, you know, there's more that you can do there. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he progresses. I think this matchup is going to be really interesting between him and Zach Wilson this week. So we'll see what happens. But I, I expect Mac Jones is going to be pretty good over the course of this season just based on who his coaches are and the personnel he's playing with. Ryan Fitzpatrick down for D.C. You got uh, Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen in the fold. Mm. No reason to look at Cam Newton, huh? Well, you know, what's interesting is that aside from the Patriots, that Washington staff knows Cam Newton better than anybody. So if they don't really want him, then they must understand something about him because they were the last team to coach him other than the Patriots. I mean, all those guys basically were down there in Carolina, in North Carolina. Carolina is not a real place. Mm. In North Carolina with Cam Newton, right, with, you know, Ron Rivera, um, uh, um, uh, Marty Herney, your general manager, Scott Turner, your offensive coordinator, all those guys coached Cam Newton before. So they understand what the deal is with him, what the medicals look like, and what his history is. Um, so, you know, Taylor Heineke had some exciting plays in the playoffs. And, I mean, he doesn't excite me 
frankly. And like, but I don't know what else you're really going to do at this point. You know, that's at least the guy that's been in your system for over a year. He was in your training camp. He's familiar with the receivers. He's familiar with the scheme, the way you probably want to call things on offense. You might as well roll with that guy and just try to think that your defense is going to keep you in enough games that they only have to make one or two plays or you just don't have to mess things up at the end. Miles, we appreciate it. What's on the sked this week? Uh, back on PFTPM, first time off hiatus is tomorrow at 2 p.m. Pacific. You can catch that on Peacock and then also Friday edition on Peacock as well, 2 p.m. Pacific. Checks out. Awesome. Thanks. All right, gentlemen. Take care. There he is. Miles A. Simmons on Twitter. Fat Pack is on the way, and then we're about 15 minutes away from the first real deep dive into uh, week two NFL lines, week three college football lines. I like a lot of dogs. Uh, Do I like Florida with all those points? Uh, We'll find out from Sammy P. if I should be betting on the Gators. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. Who better to talk about food than these two? It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Brought to you by Nova Home Loans. C'è la luna mezzo mare, mamma mia, mare da te. All right, Fat Pack time. Adam Candy's here. It's Cofield. Fat Pack. And we do a little everything. Talk a little food, a little fitness, a little entertainment. Oh, boy. Candy, in the world of TV, it seems like they run out of ideas sometimes. So they try to go back, the way back machine, bring back shows. Will either one of these work? Wonder Years, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Which one has a shot? Ooh, man. Between those two, I think Wonder Years has a better shot of working out than Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Just because, in the end, the two people that Fresh Prince are is most tied to, Will Smith and, uh, of course, Philip Avery. Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't have any of the cast, obviously, but... I think you can get by on the idea of Wonder Years and creating a new generation of that more than you can replace the star power of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But I don't know, man. I don't know, man. I'm glad they're trying it. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad they're trying it. I just don't have super high hopes. Wonder Years is going to go with an African-American cast, which is kind of interesting. Accurate information. Don Cheadle will be uh, the narrator. It's set in the late 60s. Black middle-class family in Montgomery, Alabama. Hello. That could be interesting. Well, I, think, I think what we've seen uh, from both shows when they've talked about what they're going to deal with, they've talked about that it's going to be an updated look at the African-American experience, whether it's from that bygone era or whether it's from what's going on today with Fresh Prince. And I'm, look, that, that diversity and representation is sorely missing. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, are, are we going to compare them to the originals? And I think it's going to be really difficult, especially with Fresh Prince, to try to compare it to something that was driven by a guy who also had another major career in Will Smith with music and movies and so on. Fred Savage is one of the executive producers of the Wonder Years 2021. Okay. I'll try I it. Miss Winnie, I miss Winnie Cooper. Who doesn't? 
Boy, everyone got really quiet there. Got kind of creepy. Got real just creepy. Think, it, it hit, it hit home, didn't thinking. it? It hit re- just thinking. It really hit home. Hit home, man. All right. Time to talk nepotism, one of our favorite topics. I think it's kind of a cool story, though. Do you? Rick Ross. Oh, yeah. Oh, Rick oh, Ross. Yeah. Rick Ross. Gifted his 16-year-old son. Wait, like a meal at Wingstop? Like a big party? Wait, an actual Wingstop? The whole place? Okay. What do you think of that? Think about this. 16th birthday. How awesome would it be if you were given something that not only makes money, but that makes wings? Like this, this for a 16-year-old or for, I don't know, 52-year-old, you know, I, these things sound great. These things sound absolutely fantastic. So Rick Ross gave his son a wing stop. And, and I mean, I am pretty excited about this on the idea of just thinking about what would be the one that I would want someone to give me. What fast food franchise would be the one that I want to be gifted? Cofield, you've had all afternoon to think about this. Yeah. What do you want? And are you choosing it based on, I want to gorge myself there? Or are you choosing it based on, I want print money there? My question is, uh, am I choosing on the gorging or am I choosing it on, I'm actually going to have to work there every day and enjoy it? You own it. Yeah. Hire somebody else. What do you mean? Uh, what was his name? Was it, is it Gus Fring? Is that his name? You're damn right. It's right? Gus Fring. He was there every day. He was working. He absolutely would run a massive meth ring out of my fast food restaurant, but you know, right? Maybe, and maybe. So you didn't tell me that I had fictional options. If I can get a Los Pollos Hermanos, that's exactly <laughs> what I <laughs> that's want. What you're doing? My God, I have to agree. <laughs> you get you get the chicken, you get the fast food money, and you get the drug empire. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, for me, there's there's two easy choices, and I'm actually choosing. I guess one would be the gorge. The other one, I would work there. Uh, the gorge, come on, man. I own a slicer, um, and I I want as many meat options as possible. You know where I'm going. Twenty one pounds of meat. Yes, I'm going with an Arby's. Wait, you set that up to go for an Arby's? I, I you set it up. Set to, that up for a Porta Subs. No, no, I set it up to go. Um, that wouldn't be my. You know, I, I love Porta Subs. Good giveaways. Um, no, I would go with an Arby's because, uh, like, that meat mountain thing they had a while ago. That I'd have a different one of those every month. I'd have some monstrosity that I would put together, invent. Um, now, if I'm going to work, you know, one of my favorite. This is going to be goofy. One of my favorite campaigns ever because I still use the line. Was time to make the donuts. Yes, sir. So I would, uh, I'd probably have a Dunkin' Donuts. But that's if I was going to work, if I was going to be an owner. All the well, coffee you can drink. All the coffee I can drink. Uh, take donuts to the next level. Mix in meats with the donuts. Why not? Maybe it'll no, be a, maybe it'll be a no. combo Arby's Dunkin' Donuts. I'm out. No, listen. First of all, if you're working, if you're working at the Dunkin' Donuts, yeah. you just need to be slamming Munchkins. Day in and oh, day out. The Just best. driving them into your mouth with abandon. That sounds delicious. Um, I I want a place that doesn't franchise. That's because I'm oh, that wow. kind of exclusive. Okay. I'm that kind of coastal elite. I want Nin Now. Oh, wow. I want Nin Now Burger because, one, I'm printing money, period. Um, I'm treating my employees well. 
They're getting paid better than most fast food employees. And I get to eat there whenever I want. Gorgeous, beautiful. Um, now, if I had to work there, who? Hmm. I, I want to be at Subway. And you know why? Because they're not employees. <laughs> they're, they're sandwich yeah. artists. Yeah. They're artists. You guys love the artists. I want to. I want to combine <laughs> passion, yeah, and slice meat. Yeah. Well, like I said, if I could, if I have the combo place, and uh, immediately we're rolling out a uh, roast beef cruller. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Coalfield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. Sam Penny out of it from Nesson. Let's start looking ahead in the National Football League and college football. But first, uh, get you an update. Raiders injury woes. Not good today. Denzel Good, starting right guard, down for the season, torn ACL. Uh, Gerald McCoy's injury not looking good, and we'll see what's going on with uh, Unique and Gawkway. But they did win last night. Uh, they won some money for a lot of people. Sam, I don't know where you are on the game. How'd you do? On Monday night? Yep. I did not touch it. I honestly thought last minute Raiders plus three and a half was a good bet. Um, and as you know, like, it's crazy. The NFL, literally, there are two plays in every game that decide to spread for the most part, you know? Like, there was a chance that Baltimore could have covered. There was a very good chance the Vegas Raiders could have covered. And honestly, it falls to the Raiders' side. But these games, oftentimes, they swing on one or two plays. So they do, I mean, and that's why I think it was crazy to see the results we did this week, but at the same time, uh, probably not terribly repeatable. I think we had, what, four on the closing line uh, favorites ultimately win this week? Uh, what do you expect out of week two? Well, you're going to see some overreactions, and you're seeing teams like Tampa Bay you know, go from a 10.5-point favorite on the look-ahead to minus 13. You see the Denver Broncos. Holy Christ, they're priced like the Chiefs now. The Denver Broncos are laying six points on the road. You know, I don't care who they're playing. That's a big number. And I'll tell you what, the craziest move so far has been on the L.A. Chargers and the Dallas Cowboys. Have you guys seen this total opened at 50? It's 55 already. You know, like the overreactions are crazy. And here's another one, too. Mac Jones, rookie quarterback for the New England Patriots. He's a part of a faction that are now laying six points at the Westgate on the road. I know the Jets suck, but man, like, when have we ever seen a rookie quarterback lay five and a half, six points on the road? The overreactions are always crazy. Like, I hate it in week two. I'm going to be on the Jaguars. I'll probably be on the Jets. There's a couple other ugly teams, the Colts against the Rams. A lot of these reactions happen because the betters look at week one, they react to what they saw, and really the truth is more in the middle than it is on either side. Well, and let's play one of those out that you just talked about with New England. That's not only New England laying six on the road in a game with a total of 43. Like, you're basically telling me the Jets aren't going to be able to score at all. And, yeah, I know it looked rough last week, but you have to assume that that's, uh, that's a little bit too far when it comes to New England. My God. Candy, I will never lay six points on the road with a rookie quarterback. And I work in Boston. I work at Nesson, a station that talks about Boston sports all the time. I don't care... I, I don't care. I'm not laying six points with a rookie quarterback. It's the principle. Um, and, you know, the Jets, look, they're down to left tackle. I think they, they might be down a center, too, so it's not great. 
but it's one of those games, you guys know me, I play four, five, six games a week. I cross this game right off the board. I'm not laying six with Mac and the Patriots. I'm also not taking six because the Jets also suck, you know. But, it's, you know, sometimes for a, for a sports better, it's about staying away. It's about crossing things off, and I want no part of that game. You know, there's this stat bouncing around now up here in New England. Well, Belichick is 21-6 and six against a rookie quarterback. Well, how many of those games did he have Tom Brady for? <laughs> you know, like, you know, every stat, every trend is interesting, but you've got to dig deeper than that. And, you know, if anything, you know, I, I make these contest picks. I've got to make five games against the spread. I might take the Jets, assuming the Westgate number is going to be five and a half or six. I might wind up on the Jets as much as that sucks. I'm, especially at six, I would have zero argument with you in that case. And let's talk about another team I think we're probably overreacting to just a little bit here. I'm going to do it by comparing two games. We've got the Rams going to Indy, laying four at the high end, 47 and a half. Then you got the Niners laying four, three and a half in Philadelphia. I mean, look, I understand I'm not a Carson Wentz guy, but the Indianapolis Colts are a far better team than Philadelphia, and I happen to think the Rams and San Francisco, at least based on what we've seen from uh, NFC West futures before the season, are thought of just about the same. Uh, am I wrong or am I right here when it comes to the Eagles getting maybe a little too much respect coming off that game against the bad Atlanta team? I actually agree with you 100%. Like, I, I think the Colts are the right side, even though I was on Indianapolis last week. I took the three. Um, Frank Reich, opening drive or second drive, he on fourth and two, he kicks a field goal from the two-yard line. It pissed me off, man. I'm like, come on, like, go for it, you know? You need touchdowns against Russell Wilson. Uh, but that being said, I think the Colts are the right side. And then the Eagles, you know, you look at that week one game, is it more the Eagles being good or the Falcons being atrocious? I lean more to the Falcons side of that equation. And, you know, San Francisco, you know, that team – they really should have won that game by 20. You look at the box score, the final score, okay, yeah, they didn't cover the closing number when they went 41-33, to 33, but they could have won that game 41-16. to 16, You know, and I'll tell you the other thing about that game, I wouldn't bet the under candy with your money, and that total has already ah. moved from 46 to 50 or 50 and a half. Uh, you know, Philly, give Philly some credit. Last year they had a lot of speed, but they didn't have the proper quarterback or the proper play caller. You know, Carson Wentz holds on to the ball for an hour. Now they got a guy in Jalen Hurts who makes quick decisions. He throws the ball into the flat. He makes the guys with speed make a man miss. And Sirianni's calling good plays. Like, I think Philly's going to be a team that goes over their win total. But this would be a spot where I'm not going to overreact to their performance against Atlanta. Atlanta could go 2-15 and 15 this year. So you're really you're trying to balance the perception and the reality. Philly's going to be a better team than people thought, but are they really only three and a half points worse than San Francisco? I don't think so. I lean to the Niners in that spot. Yeah, I'm with you there. And, and especially having seen this thing move down from four to three and a half in some places, if you're going to give me eventually that field goal on that, I will uh, I will be very happy with the San Francisco 49ers. All right, Sam, let's switch over and talk a little bit on the college slate uh, every week. When Alabama's on the board, that's where the money is going to be. Uh, but this one has actually bounced around a little bit, at least from the Circa opener. Uh, 15 on the opener. It did flash down below 14 ever so briefly. Back to 15 in most spots, 58.5 uh, up from 54.5 with Alabama 
at Florida. Uh, can you get behind laying more than two touchdowns with Bama, or are you buying in to Nick Saban saying, I don't know, man, my team didn't come out and play the way they were supposed to in week one? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and we didn't beat Mercer by a million points either. <laughs> That's yeah, the right. other thing. I just look like I feel like there's oftentimes there's more value with Alabama on the road than there is at home. Because when, when they're at home, they're laying an extra five, six, seven points. You know, this open circle opened Alabama 13 and a half. And did you see what happened? About three seconds later, it moved to 14 and a half. You know, it crossed through a very key number at 14. I don't have the board in front of me right now. Um, but I mean, like, if I, if I were to play Florida, honestly, I'd probably need 17. That's my key number. Um, I'm not going to lay that number on the road, but if I were to take the Gators and Dan Mullen's squad, I'd need 17. We probably won't get there. Um, but this is a game where I, I think points are a plenty. You said the total is, what, 54.5? Open there. We're sitting 58.5 most places now. Yeah, I was going to say 54.5 is too low. But here's the thing. you know, I, I talk to a lot of people all the time that – they don't study this market from Sunday to Sunday, you know, or Saturday to Saturday. They study it Saturday morning, and they're like, oh, you know, I like over 58. You literally missed 55, 57, 58. Those are numbers that are very possible. So it's important if you're betting on sports to understand the way the market moves. These college football lines, they come out Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. They don't come out Tuesday, Thursday. Saturday morning. These are fluid markets that open up a week ahead of these games, you know, six days ahead. So it's important to know where the number was and where it is. And, you know, I can't sit here and tell your listeners, oh, yeah, you should take the over because really you could have bet over 54 and a half, 55, 55 and a half days ago. It's important to understand that this is a fluid market that doesn't open day of the game, it opens days before. And respected money tells the story, man. Like, I would have loved Alabama, Florida over 54-and-a-half, 55, 55 and a half. But I can't sit here in all honesty and be like, oh, yeah, 58 over is a good bet. It's not. You missed the move. Oh, Sammy, I don't think that everybody – and, by the way, we're talking to Sam Paniotovich from Nesson. Uh, I don't think people necessarily understand that even here in Vegas especially, you have an enormous advantage if you're paying attention – because Circa has the opening numbers for the country. Uh, Circa is opening up and giving you opportunities right from the jump. I was fortunate, uh, I hope, to get in on that 13.5 with Alabama before it moved up. Uh, but you have a real chance here in Vegas. And uh, there are a few games that I know Cofield wants to get to. And I'm going to throw those at you because we have one of them where I think the uh, the names are probably going to be a whole lot better than the actual football game. Uh, Oklahoma hosting Nebraska. Uh, 22 at Circa in favor of the Sooners, 62.5 on the total. Um, three touchdowns. Enough with Oklahoma or not enough? This game, you know, when you think about it and you think about how bad Nebraska has fallen and how talented Oklahoma is, you're, you're, you try and always compute a score, at least I do. And when I come to this game, I think it's Oklahoma 38, Nebraska 14. You know, like that's so, so that comes out to 24 and the number is just short of that. So I feel like the number is good, but you know, I think a lot of people run into this problem, Candy, when they take a dog getting a lot of points, like especially a prestigious program like Nebraska. Oh, I like Nebraska getting 23 or 24. 
you know, the number is where it is for a reason. And, and Oklahoma has the offense in every game to score 50 points, 55 points. The question is, you know, how much are they up in the third or fourth quarter? These games with big spreads are so dangerous because Oklahoma could be up 38-10, to 10, and then they pull Spencer Rattler. <laughs> and, then, and then you're going up against yep. the backup here. Oklahoma doesn't care. They already won the game. I, I just hate those bigger spreads, but I would, I would warn you against taking the points with Nebraska because that's a bad football team. And by all indications from the people I talk to, Scott Frost will be fired at the end of the season because there hasn't been any progression with that program. The talent isn't there. The schematics aren't there. The process isn't there. And the results aren't there. So this is not a Nebraska team that I feel confident at all to put my money on. Sam, good spot, man. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, gentlemen. I'll see you. Sam, there he is, Sam Paniotovich. Fox Sports, also Nesson, and you can listen to his podcast, Chicken Dinner. It's up at Chicken X Dinner. Stick around. Cofield and Company returns in minutes in the Finley Toyota Studios.